0: Traveling the world, searching for equestrians of all breeds. The journey starts now on the International Equine Network. Good afternoon, equestrians. This is Scott Miller from the International Equine Network. Broadcasting to you live from Delray Beach, Florida. Greatest horse place in the world. We got everything here. Show horses, race horses, standard bred horses. You name it, we've got it right here. We've got Gulf Stream that's close to us. We've got Tampa Bay Downs that's close to us. We've got Wellington. We got WEC. We got everything here as far as horses are concerned. And the reason we have it is because of the people, uh, in our industry. Uh, the horse industry is seems to be on an upswing. Uh, a lot of money being put, uh, put into the industry as we've talked about over the last few months. And I'm going to give you some reasons why that um, the industry is doing very, very well. Uh, one of the reasons why is we have Jim and Dana Bernhard, uh, the owner of uh, Pen Oak Stud. And, and they just acquired uh, a Dana Springs Annex property in Lexington. And, you know, it just goes to show you that... Um, the industry is solid out there. It may not be solid for everybody, but it, the business people are really making making it go. Uh, it, it's a hard struggle for the uh, smaller horsemen, which stands to reason they don't have a lot of money, you know, to work with. But uh, all in all, all the big farms are doing really good. Uh, within nine months of purchasing the 793 Pen Oak Stud near Versailles, Kentucky. Jim and Dana Bernhard had acquired an additional 465 acres from Adena Springs, bringing the total size of the farm to just over 1,250 acres. And so their whole operation that they have now is, you know, uh, from beginning to end. Um, you know, they have the breeding operation. They have uh, everything that you can uh, imagine. And the reason they got the Adena Springs uh, annex over there uh, it, it was a, um, a yearling, uh, facility there, uh, pretty much. And so, you know, the, the whole long and short of it is, is that, um, uh, the business is doing good. We have people that are spending money and we'll give you updates on the Penn Oak, uh, Adena Springs Annex property, uh, acquisition, uh, um, by, by the Bernards to let you know what they're doing and, and what their game plan is um you know now they can do everything they can breed they can race they can do everything and and very rarely do you see uh things of this nature happen you know in the business and the reason that is is because a lot of not there's not a lot of people that are really organized to get things done and you know i'll give you a good example one star farm they do they do the whole nine yards and it's good management that they have there elliot walden uh, Kenny Trout uh, have done a superb job with uh, WinStar Farm. Uh, they've gone both domestic and international, and they cover all areas uh, of the thoroughbred industry. and it, And it takes a lot of uh, doing to do that. You got to have a lot of business knowledge. You got to be a good horseman, but most of all, you got to be a good person. And uh, Elliot uh, does a good job there at WinStar with everything that they do, and they're on the cutting edge and and I'm sure they're going to have a good derby this year, uh, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But um, one of the things that uh, the industry has to worry about is integrity and safety. Uh, that's the things that uh, we have to worry about to keep a good public, uh, you know, attendance at the tracks and and at the sales and that type of thing. And there's been a lot of controversy over uh, horses breaking down. Uh, you know, at Saratoga, at, at Churchill Downs, Gulf Stream, Santa Anita, you name it, the, you know, they've had that happen. And so right now they seem to be focusing on the surface, on the surfaces that the horse runs on. And, um, you know, I, I think that could be some of it, but, but it, it's my opinion that, uh, it's the gene pool that we're dealing with. It's the breeding, the inbreeding. That we have, uh, we don't have uh, um, our inbreeding is getting so close in the thoroughbred business. It's scary. I'm surprised we don't have any two-headed thoroughbreds running out there the way the inbreeding's been getting. But um, long and short of it, uh, when you have the inbreeding getting close, the 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 bone cells and the muscle mass and everything seems to be the one that gets hurt the most. And and I, I think that uh, it's a lot of a lot of the injuries are stemming from uh, the inbreeding and the way the horses are being broken, raised as yearlings. Um, there's a surgery that they do on baseball players. It's called the Tommy John surgery, and it's it's into the elbow and, and so forth. But I heard a, a baseball player talking about this the other day. Uh, he had the Tommy John surgery. He's 24 years old. He's a major league player, and he's constantly had trouble with his arm. And he honestly believes that it was from when he was in in school, in high school, when he was young, coming up. Uh, he he always wanted to be a pitcher, which he became. He, you know, he he fulfilled his his lifelong dream, pitching in in the major leagues. But he he started going back to what happened. He remembers the day in junior high when his arm would be sore after pitching, you know, in, in the youth leagues icing his uh, arm down, you know, just the normal things. You know, uh, a lot of kids see the big guys do it, and, and they do it. Well, he gets into high school, and he's pitching, and he's a state All-American. You know, he's going to be drafted right out of high school into major leagues and everything. And so right in his senior year, he had an arm operation on on his Tommy Johns, on, on his elbow there. And so the doctors basically told him, that what had happened that he had, as he was growing, he kept pitching and pitching and pitching, and the injury kept, you know, getting worse, worse, and worse. And the doctor told him he said he should stop pitching and maybe play another position where he's not abusing his arm every day. And so that kind of got me to thinking about the the, the thoroughbreds. Uh, A lot of these horses that, that come out, and they're young horses that, they're trying to get them ready for the sales uh the owner buys a horse and you know he starts looking to get a return on his money real quick and one of the ways to do that is to buy a yearling and and start breaking it and getting ready for the two-year-old trading sales and the two-year-old races and you know that that seems to push it a little bit kind of like you know a young ball player with uh, pitching a, a you know a baseball and it does it does damage to the horse um, and what happens is they start training and the pressure and the tension that they put on the muscles and and put on the, uh, you know, on the bones in, in their body is, is really tremendous. You got to remember that these yearlings are still growing. You know, uh, they, they get, uh, you know, what they call buck shins in um, the horse. Uh, you know, it's a growing situation there and you got to stop on them for a while and you know, then they said, well, they don't anymore, but they pen fire their legs or, you know, what, what they used to do, you know, back in the day. And so now, you know, you're looking at it that you're constantly trying to, uh, you know, repair this horse damage that it's incurring during his early years of training. Now, back in the day, the old people, the old people, older than me, Used to take a horse and when they break him, they'd turn him out for two or three months, let him grow up some. Uh, when I first went onto the racetrack and I, I had, i uh, working for Dewey Smith, and I was with Al Baba, Luscapade, and Cabildo Lake, and they came along in their two-year-old and, and years and uh, um, they went right off the bat uh, promising stake horses and they got turned out. You know, to to the field. And here I'm thinking, you know, like why do that? Uh, you know, when we're running and we're running good and winning, you know. But uh, Dewey Smith, an old school trainer, said we do that to let them grow, let them get out and grow naturally, let it, let them happen naturally. So they they they're getting fed out of the field, running with all the other horses and playing and you know doing their thing. And so that started weighing a lot a lot on me. What I've heard from some of the you know, from the old time trainers, uh, I just started thinking about that a lot and hearing that about baseball and, you know, getting to think about kids growing up and when I grew up and how fast I grew up, uh, you know, and how much weight I gained between, you know, sixth grade and eighth grade and how tall I got, you know, that type of thing. And so it's the same thing with the horses. And I think that that's what we need to be focusing on now. Is how the horses are raised. Nobody's really done a study on that yet, but I think it's time for them to do that. Is go in and take a, a, a case group of horses, uh, you know, from some from California, Texas, uh, Florida, Kentucky, uh, New York, Pennsylvania. You know, just select a few horses and see how they're raised. Um, you know, what kind of feed they're getting. Uh, you know. Their exercise routine that they're going through, uh, just, you know, all kinds of things like that, how fast they grow, how much weight they grow, um, when, when were their growth spurts, and how long were those, did those growth spurts last, you know, and then bring them along because I, I think they're getting horses, uh, nowadays too, too quick into training. And the one good thing that we can do with it is unfortunately we've had some, um, some major breakdowns, uh, in the past year. But nevertheless, we've got information that would tell us you know how they were raised what, when they started training the difficulties they had through training if they had buck shins if they got hurt you know that that type of things. how many times did they race you know we have all that information that's already you know um, you know that that horse has already given us that we can go back and look at and make a study there and and you know, go back and see what kind of feed they got. What, uh, you know, what kind of water they had. Uh, you know, uh, just all, all the different things that went into that horse's rearing, uh, rearing up uh, that they would that they would have. And that, that's what I'd like to see happen. Then we can start putting it with all these other things that are happening. You know, on the track, uh, especially when they you know go to the track and they get shot, and you know they got new shoes. that changes the angle or the uh, there's step, you know, there's a lot of things that, that we can add into this study as we go down the road that's already been done and everything. So, uh, and what I like about Heisa and, and all the racetracks now, they're really uh, into the horse business more so than they ever have been before. And a lot of trainers and a lot of owners don't like it because we have to follow the rules now. We got to go by the rules. We can't just, you know, slough off and say, oh, well, you know, we used to, you know, that type of thing. Uh, you know, the, the old day, the, the, uh, how should I say that? It's not the old days, but it's the last, I'd say 20 years that uh, a lot of things that they've been doing, you know, from a medical standpoint, uh, so, as far as their nutrition and shots and, and vitamins and everything, uh, Uh, A lot of things over the last 20 years have changed uh, dramatically that I think affects our business. And and also there's so many things there that we have to look at. Now, one thing I do, do uh, like about our industry, everybody's trying to get on the same page. And that's what I like about HISA. HISA gets everybody on the same page in all racing jurisdictions jurisdictions, to where, you know, the rules are regular, uh, are the same. Now, a lot of trainers don't like that because some of these trainers were cutting corners. There's a lot of trainers that were, you know, maybe training horses that were sore. That can't happen anymore. That's been taken away from them, and, and it's good for the business. Now, Naira, the New York Racing Association, is considering adding all-weather track at Saratoga um, due to the fact that they just had, um, you know, quite a few breakdowns at Saratoga. And and by the same token, when Churchill had their breakdowns this summer, they moved, they moved their racing to Ellis Park. They got them off the surface at Churchill and got them to Ellis Park. Not saying that Ellis Park had a better surface, but just saying a change of tracks, venues, we'll say, made a difference. And it did. It made a difference. But we can't say that Ellis Track was better than Churchill, Churchill was better than Saratoga. But, you know, it was a change in routine for the horses. So, you know, that's another element that that we're looking at, uh, you know, to to be there. Um, What I like about it, the synthetic course is being built for the Belmont Park on an all-weather surface, uh, also could be coming to Saratoga. So they think that this all-weather surface might be the trick. You know, to it they're going to find out and, and just see you know what happens. They're still going to have the dirt and turf and everything, but they're going to get an all-weather track and they're hoping that it will, you know, um, you know, stop a lot of things. And, and what I like about having an all-weather track, you know, and I hope all the tracks eventually get one, is two records you can keep. You know, like the, this horse train, you know, 30 days on an all-weather track, you know, no injuries. Uh, this track uh this horse uh trained you know thirty days on a dirt track and had a little you know lameness uh every now and then uh you know that type of thing and and so now we're starting to you know kind of single out areas that we think that could be damaging our horses uh you know that type of thing but like i said it's it's going to be intense it's going to be time consuming to have these studies done but If we can get all the trainers and all the owners and breeders on the same, you know, course, that's really going to help. That's really going to help our industry. We we can start really pinpointing where it is and, you know, what it is, you know, that type of thing. Uh, The safety uh, has been an issue at this meeting at Saratoga and the industry as a whole with uh, seven horses suffering, it's catastrophic, sorry about that, Catastrophic, uh, injuries, uh, it, it just makes it, uh, you know, all, all the more important that we get this thing done. Um, you know, the, the problem with artificial surfaces and dirt and so forth and so on, right now we don't know if the artificial surface is going to hurt any of the horses. We don't, we don't know if that's going to happen. And so Saratoga is really looking into that, you know, big time. But the other thing that comes into it is is you got to think about you know not only the horse but the trainers. You know how does the trainer go to you know his owner and says, okay, Mr. Owner, uh, we're here at Saratoga, which everybody loves to train at. We're training on an artificial track, and we want to go down and run uh, the million dollar uh, you know Virginia Derby that's on on dirt or we want to go run the uh, the Kentucky Derby that's on dirt or Hot Springs to, uh, you know, the Arkansas Derby. That, that makes it very difficult on the trainer because, you know, we really don't know how the horse training on an artificial crosses over to a dirt track like, say, Churchill, you know, or, or you know, Belmont or, you know, what have you. So, you know, now we're getting a lot of things into it that... Um, you know, the owner has to think about, uh, you know, uh, do I go with this owner that's got a ha- hot hand or a trainer that's got a hot hand on artificial turf, you know, to dirt or to grass? Uh, you know, what, what, what do we do? And those are million dollar decisions that they're making there, you know, and, and, and align with that, uh, you know, the trainers have to, you know, train for an artificial and, and go, go race, you know, at other tracks on different surfaces. You know, that really becomes important. And I think one of the important things that's going to have to be done with the artificial track is the fact that the racing venues are going to have to recognize the artificial track and we're going to have to get the possibility of graded stakes races on the artificial track, more money, purse money on the artificial track to, you know, give an incentive for the owners and trainers to stay on the the artificial track and move around to the different tracks that they have. Now, you know, that's very that's very important. Now you know the dirt will always be there, the turf will always be there. And, and that that's very important. So now the trainer's really in a jam because now he's got to figure out, do I train my horse for the turf, for the artificial uh, surface or for the dirt? You know, that that's the, that's the big, you know, the big thing right there you know, but it's all for the industry. You know, we got to make the, we got to make the industry safer for the horses, safer for the riders, you know, as well as think about, you know, the owners that are, that are, you know, supplying, you know, the, uh the horses for the industry. So that, that's going to be tough. And I'm telling you now, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, how this is going. Um, the, uh, uh, Bloodhorse the other day had an article, uh, industry voices, uh, synthetic tracks, uh, protect the thoroughbreds. So now, you know, we've got the, the owners and everybody, you know, are going along with this, um, you know, uh, you know, industry, uh, change. And it's, and it's going to be tough because you can't change it all at once overnight. Uh, yeah, sure. You can take a horse down and run it on a synthetic track. And it might like it, and it might not. Just like it might like the mud, it might like the uh, uh, the dry uh, fast track. It might like the turf, uh, soft and yielding. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things there. So now, you know, it's going to be a, a chess match. We'll see, uh, to see who's going to be able to do that. You know, if they're going to be able to uh, uh, see what's going on. I mean, they're they're experts uh, and leaders in the industry. Uh, who now recognize that we are at a critical stage. And I know and I am ready, ready and willing to bring about a change and to do what needs to be done to make the sport right. You know, and, and that's that's my feeling on it. We've we got to do what's going to take care of these horses, what's going to be right for them. You know, it's going to be very interesting. And, and that's one thing I like about Heisen. Uh, Heisen has come along and, and they're behind a lot of these changes uh they're ready to regulate uh, these things uh you know how it's done and when it's done and and, and everything uh and they're the, they're the statistic uh keeper uh, and, and in a few years we'll be able to go to heisland and we'll be able to look up um, you know all the things on there uh how many horses you know went down uh to you know a fatal injury on uh on artificial tracks on dirt tracks on uh um you know, turf tracks, uh, and a cheap track and a good track. Uh, you know, that's what it looks like. And I hated to say a cheap track and a good track, uh, but that, that is true. And for a long time, uh, now in the industry, everybody has said, oh, well, you know, so-and-so track is a cheap track. I don't go there. They don't take care of it. Well, yes, they do. You know, the small tracks, uh, all over the country, every track. They take care of it to the best of their ability. That's what they did. So you can't come back and say, oh, you know, so-and-so is a cheap track. You know, I would never race my horse there, you know, that type of thing. And, and, and I tell you, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of times that I've heard owners and trainers say, oh, I won't race at this track. It's a small track. You know, it's not a real good track. And i tell you why. They're afraid to take their horse there because if their horse gets beat, and it shows up in their in their race record as being beat at, you know, a, a smaller track or a cheaper track, that's, that's what they don't want to see. They don't want to see that, you know, on, on their record because breeding purposes and sale purposes, you know, people say, oh, oh, oh gee, what a you, you know, the, the horse ran here at, uh, you know, so-and-so track and got beat, you know, and that's just, you know, a race is a race no matter where it's at. And I'm a firm believer in the fact that if you got a good horse, he's going to run anywhere, anytime, any distance. That's the way I look at it. You know, but other people don't do it. They say, "Oh, he's just a mile and a half horse." Well, you know that may be true, but in order to run a mile and a half, you got to run a half mile, three quarters, a mile, a mile and a quarter, you know, and a mile and a half in order to see how he, how good he is. And, and I tell you, it's becoming a chess match for all these. uh uh, all the trainers and, and the owners and, and I'm, I'm going to give you some good examples here you know for for what they're doing here this weekend is a great weekend uh all throughout the horse industry we've got a lot of good races going all over at del mar and you know saratoga closed Keeneland's opening um you know then we've got our little well, churchill will be running and then Keeneland, and then churchill again um we've got del mar um uh, We've got the the New York meet that's opening up, Aqueduct will will be there. So, you know, there's a lot of good races coming up. And and one of the things that I can say now as an owner used to be a wannabe trainer um, when I was trying to train, but I still had to, you know, I had inexpensive horses, didn't know what I was doing. It's still all part of the process that, no matter where you're at and what level you're at in the business, you've got to go through it, and you got to think about uh, your training aspect that you're doing. Um, you got to like select your horses, and when you get your horses, you start to figure out uh, where you want to go with. them. You Sit down and uh, you know at the table and say, okay, uh, where are we going to go with this horse? And you know it's got blood and it's got um, turf in its blood. Um, it's got speed, but no distance. So you start figuring out where you're going to go, what tracks you're going to go to. Who's got, uh, you know, a good turf track and who's got the good purse money. Who's got the good, everything, you know, and, and you try to figure it all out so that you can do the best for the horse and do the best for the owner. It's what you've got to do. Now, uh, this this is a unique situation that's happened in Kentucky. Uh, back many years ago, uh, they had a place called Dueling Grounds, which now is called Kentucky now. And everybody said it would never work. It's in an old farm field on the Kentucky-Tennessee border. And uh, <laughs> it's just out in the field and it goes up and down over hills and big turns and shoot there. Sometimes you can't even see the horses on the track up from the grandstand because it curves and goes down through the, you know, through the woods. You uh, know, goes down and up and down hills. But owners started really looking at this this Kentucky Downs many years ago, and started trying to get the feel for it. It's a European style gallop, is what it is. And I mean, it's a beautiful track. It's a great place to race. And then Kentucky, you know, wanted to make it go. So Kentucky said, "We're gonna have to do something here to make this track go." to get the big horses in here, the big names in here, and get the fans in here, in which they do, to get them in there. And I'll give you a good example here. I'm going to give you two or three examples here. Uh, They have the gunrunner states. It's September uh, 2nd was the gunrunner states. And we had um, Will Walden, Brian Lynch, Mike Maker, Mike Maker, Mike McCarthy, Shug McGahee, Ashmeason, Doug O'Neill, uh, Brad Cox, and Todd Fletcher. So you got the best of the best from the country, north, south, east, and west, out here in Kentucky Downs. And why are they there? They're out there for the gun runner states. It's one mile on the turf. The purse is a million dollars. The purse is a million dollars. And I'm telling you what, going a mile on the turf, that you earn that money quick, real quick. And like I said, we have all the major trainers that, that were in here, uh, you know, had that uh, in there. They planned for it all year long, uh, you know, to to race at Kentucky Downs in these big races. And sure enough, I tell you what, this doggone thing came in, and Shug McGahee, which is a good trainer, noted for easy-goer and a horse called Rhythm, um, he comes in there and... <laughs> I'm telling you what this horse come in there, talk of the nation. He come in there and he ran a great race all the way through, you know, go, going on on the turf there. Uh, it was, it was uh, not a sprint. It's not a distance race. It's a mile. So you got to have a horse that can cover both, can cover the grass, can cover the European style, uh, um, you know, course that it was $1 million dollars, million dollars up for grabs. You know, and I'm sitting here looking at this thing and saying, well, holy cow. You know, this is pretty doggone good. Uh, Shug's cut out of that was $600,000. $600,000 in one race. And so, you know, that gives the owner and the trainer a whole different mindset as far as training is concerned. When you come in out there, you you got to point that horse for that race. It's just like you get them fit and you run it. You've got a point in the horse for that race. And then that, that, that there's also other, you know, the, the the Breeders' Cup. You know, you're looking at a million-dollar race there. You know, uh, you could run a horse literally two or three times on the grass in places like Kentucky Downs, uh, you know, Kingland, Churchill, the Breeders' Cup, and, and make, you know, two $3 million for the horse just running three or four times out of the year. You know, and, and that's, that's why I'm saying the business is getting better. Because we got tracks like Kentucky Downs that are coming up, you know, with what they're doing. Um, on the card, uh, on the card also, um, they had, uh, the, the music, the, they call it the big ass music fan, uh, music city, uh, stakes race. It's another million dollar race. Um, I tell you, it's, uh, six and a half furlongs on the curve. Uh, you know, you're looking at pretty much at a sprint there. And, and we literally had everybody in there from all over the country. And they had, they had 16 horses enter the race. It was a 12 horse field. You know, and, and I'm sitting there thinking like, holy cow, who's going to win this thing? And, and Brandon Walsh came up and, and win the thing. And, and again, you know, you, we're looking at, uh, uh the per- first place money that he got was uh, $585,000. And it, it was a great, great race, but you got to train for the turf. You know, you just can't say, "Oh, I'm going to run him on the turf and he, see what happens." You really got to plan it out because the money's there. And, and this, this, this went on the whole day at Kentucky Downs. It went on the whole day, every race, big races. They had the Mint Million. The Mint Million was a mile on the turf. It's a two million dollar race a $2 million race on a turf. Literally every big time trainer was there to have, you know, have it, uh, have their shot at a $2 million. And it came up that, um, Charles Hills win the race up there. Uh, I'm telling you, this horse could run, you know, and they made one big run at him and everything. And, uh, uh, ancient, ancient Rome was the name of the horse. And I mean, he was right there on the money and, and they trained him and they got him prepped him and, you know, put a year long project into training him and getting him there. And so you look at the race itself to the winner was a million one hundred and seventy eight thousand dollars to the winner. So you train that horse all year long for the turf and getting right. Don't abuse him. Don't overrun him. Look what happened! Million, over a million dollars. That was just a Kentucky Downs, just a short meet. Then we had um, uh, Delmar. We had the Delmar uh, Derby. It's a Grade Two. It was three hundred thousand dollars. A nice field of nine, you know. There, uh, going going out here. Uh, this really looked good. It was a good race. Uh, literally had all the big trainers there. And they came up, uh, Philip Diamato, he won the race. And, you know, you're looking at uh, out of that 300,000, uh, that he got, he got 180,000 for running first. And that's good. And, and you know, let's consider it a, a smaller state. Um, again, on Del Mar, September 2nd, um, we had the Pacific, uh, the, the, FanDuel, uh, racing Pacific Classic. And this this race has been around a long time. It's a million dollars. It's going a mile and a quarter. It's uh, for three-year-olds and up at uh, Del Mar. And it's really a good race. Um, you know, we had just about everybody out there uh, that, that I thought would be from the West Coast. And we had some East Coast people that went there. And they came up. Bob Baffert wins it. Bob most I don't know how many times Bob would win this thing. But you know you're sitting there looking at the race and seeing what happened, and um, you know the race went good. It was a six it was a six hundred thousand dollars to the winner. So you know all these owners or trainers are looking at these races, and you got a point for them. You just can't you know say oh well I uh, put out a condition book and, and say hey here it is let's try it. Uh, you know and like I said every track is starting to do this. They're having their uh, it used to be they had their big day like the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks. Well, now it's becoming a meet kind of thing. Uh, you know, uh, you build a, a turf course, uh, weekend with a lot of money, a lot of big stake races. Uh, you, you, you do a lot of, uh, you know, sprint races. Uh, you do a lot of different things, you know, off through the meet with that big purse money to get those big trainers there. And so that gives them something uh, to, you know, uh, shoot at. Uh, Saratoga did the same thing September 2nd. Um, they had the Jockey Club uh, Gold Cup, uh, which is there, and you're, you're looking at a million dollars. Um, it's, it was a fantastic race in there. Uh, Todd Fletcher won the, won the race. Uh, and this is, was one of his, uh, horses that he pointed for this, uh, for this race. Uh, it was a mile and a fourth. Um, you know, same distance as the Derby, but different, different day and different track. Up there, uh, you know, that, that was good. Um, first place, uh, 550,000, you know, to, to win that race. And so the whole point that I'm getting to here through to you is the fact that these tracks are opening up and offering big races, you know, big races for, you know, for these horses, uh, for the Phillies and Mares at Saratoga. Um, they had, uh, it was a mile and three eighths on the inner turf. It was a $500,000 race, uh, came up. Christoph Claremont won the race up there, uh, 450,000 or 275,000 to the winner. You know, so that, that's a race that you have to point for. You just can't just pick them up and say, Hey, I'm going to run here. And, and that was Del Mar and Saratoga, you know, and Kentucky Downs. So those are three tracks that, you know, the trainers can uh, point to. And go for it now, Colonial downs uh, they've been struggling over the years uh it's a beautiful track to go to uh, near Richmond, Virginia. uh the horsemen love it, uh the the management and staff at Colonial Downs really put on a first class operation there and it's a beautiful uh um, um, track that they have. they got a great turf track there, and every year they have a a little tradition uh they go out. And they burn they burn the turf track. They go out and they burn the tracks. It enriches the the soil. It does a lot of things for it. But they do that. So that, that's the unique thing that they do to get a good, safe surface that, you know, they're always thinking about. And then you start thinking about, well, you know, the purse money, what can they do? For many years, it, it wasn't very good there. And now they have some good things going. Uh, They're getting into the swing of things. They're getting a lot of people there, a lot of people betting on it, and they're getting a lot of fans and and a good horse from from all over the country are are going there. And, for example, like uh, this Saturday, uh, post time is 6.20 uh, uh, p.m. Eastern time. It's the New Kent County, Virginia Derby. It's a grade three. It's a 500,000 added going a mile and an eighth on, 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 on the turf. And their turf track is probably one of the best in the country. Uh, you know, it's just amazing that they have, you know, that they have there. Um, we got uh, a lot of good trainers there. We got Grand Motion, Christoph Clamont, Chad Brown, Mike Maker, Shoot McGahee, Todd Fletcher, uh, you know, Steve Ashmussen. Best horses in the country. Best trainers in the country. Going right there to it. And that's the, in the Virginia Derby at 620, which you can uh, be able to see. Um, uh, this weekend, uh, and, and you know it's going to be interesting to see who wins that thing. But again, it's Colonial Downs; it's another part of the country. You know they're they're having a good good race meet there. They're offering good money, getting the good trainers there, and that's what it all you know what it all looks everybody looks for. And the thing that that I like about it is they always have good undercards, and this is a you know the equivalent to the Kentucky Oaks uh, that they have there. And this is the Virginia Oaks. It's going to mile and eight on on the turn for you, know. Like again, the the last three tracks that we talked about, they're all turf, and They got good money going for it, and um, you know, same thing in this one. We got Doug O'Neill from out west. Uh, we got uh, John Terranova from out east. Uh, Grand Motion from the Mid Atlantic. Todd Fletcher from New York, Florida, and Kentucky. Chad Brown from uh, Florida, New York, and Kentucky. Mike Stidham from uh, Louisiana. Now uh, Kenny McPeak uh, from Kentucky. Uh, you know, so it just, it just shows you that the, the big trainers, the big owners are going to these smaller tracks. And why are they going? It's the purse money they're going for. That's why they're going. That's why they're going for it. that Virginia Derby, well, I tell you what, it's going to be nice. They, they, um, they have, uh, a lot of good things there, uh, at, at the track. Uh, good food, good everything. And, and, you know, they get into the tradition of, Uh, You know, the industry is what they're doing. And so, you know, I started looking and saying, hey, you know, now we look at it. We're ready on the 17th of this month, we start how they get there, the 2024 Kentucky Derby. It's hard to believe in it. It seems like Kentucky Derby was just here, and now we're going to the Kentucky Derby. We're starting to follow it every Saturday we're going to have Kentucky Derby prep races. Uh, the Kentucky Derby presented by uh, Woodford Reserve um, is a top right grade one stage race for three-year-olds. Uh, the thoroughbred horse uh, for thoroughbred horses. Uh, the race uh, distance is a mile and a quarter, and it's run on the first Saturday every May at Churchill Downs. And I'm telling you what, it's exciting because there's a... Uh, a prep race schedule that uh, you have to run in, you have to earn points to get into the Derby. There's only 20 horses that are taken for the Derby, and you've got to earn your points to get in. And let me tell you, it goes down to the wire every year. Um, it goes down to the wire every year on who's going to get in. You don't know until, until that last Derby prep race, which is at Kingland, uh goes off in uh, Lexington, I believe. That um, goes off, and, and that. And then after that race is over, then you know who's going to be in the derby. And Churchill Downs does a great job of it, all the tracks that are involved in it, um, such as Santa Anita, Del Mar, uh, um, you know, Hot Springs, uh, uh, fairgrounds in New Orleans, New York, Kentucky, Florida, uh, everywhere. They've, they've all got derby prep races. And that's what I like about, about you know, the horse businesses, to get you things to look for. But having said this about the preferences to get into the derby, you know, that, that's important. But the, the, the program, the format for the program, the the business model is all for the same, for all the tracks. You know, you got point systems to get into the derby. You got prep races that you need to prepare your horse with, getting ready to run to the Kentucky Downs. And you know, you know, there's a lot of trainers that, uh, You know, like Kentucky Downs, or you know, running in the Derby. uh, This is the thing that they look at. You've got three or four races that you can run in prior to the Breeders' Cup. The Breeders' Cup is the the thing that everybody wants to get to. You want to win the Breeders' Cup, because that means you're the best in the world at that distance on that grass on that track, what have you. That's what the Breeders' Cup means, and that's why they created the Breeders' Cups, and then. They created a series of races that are called "Win and You're In." Um, win and You're In for the Breeders' Cup is if you win a, a specified race, uh, prep race, like kind of like a prep race for the Derby, but you you win and you're in, and and that means that uh, you win that race, um, all your fees are paid. Uh, they help you with transportation. They help you with costs to get to the to the, uh, to the uh, Breeders' Cup. And so, again, it goes back to, you know, the model, the business models and the program format. You've got a series of races to get to Kentucky Downstate. You've got a series of races to get to, to, get to uh, the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, the Belmont. Uh, you know, all these other races that we've just been talking about, an owner and trainer can point from that. And it's very helpful in the training because then you kind of know where you're at, you know, with all these things. And, you know, I've been saying for a long time, this is a good thing because no matter who you are or where you're at, you got a chance to win in one of those races if you sit down and plan for it. And it takes a lot of planning. you got to be a good business person, uh, you know, to do that. So um, every week now we're going to have a how they get there uh, update on everything that's going on, uh, what races are coming up. Uh, then we're going to come through, and, and Churchill Downs has got a good thing uh, that they uh, have that we'll be going over with uh, every week. Uh, like for example, um, weaning a necessary stop on the road to Kentucky Derby. It's about after the horse is foaled, you have to wean it from the mother, and the process that they go through to do that, and how traumatic and, and you know it is on the horses being separated like that. Uh, the first step on the road to the Kentucky Derby. Uh, you know, is planning your breeding, uh, and planning your training, getting your own trainer, you know, get, you know, taking, you know, the things you got to do to go to the derby In doing that. Uh, um, we'll talk about horse racing auctions, offering a plethora of choices, you know, on horses that you might, uh, be able to purchase to get to a Kentucky Derby, you know, uh, that, that type of thing. Um, the, the hopeful stakes, uh, is the, This is, this is really not a, um, derby prep race. You get no points for it, but there's a lot of races that trainers like to run to see what kind of horse they got, uh, you know, to whether they should entertain going to the derby, uh, you know, that type of thing. And for example, the hopeful station is, uh, you know, is run at Saratoga and it's a it's a good race uh I tell you it, you know it's just something that that a, a trainer and Oldman has to look at uh um, it's um I don't know how to explain it. it it's a good test a litmus test for your horse to see what he's like because he's going to be in against really good horses it's a $300,000 proof, uh you know for the horse to run and uh You know, it's a lot of money. It's in a good stakes, it's in good stakes company. Uh, you know, it's just something really to look at. And I'm kind of caught between a rock and a hard spot now, my opinion. Now this is on my opinion. Every track during the summer has, usually has a two year old race that offers a lot of money. You know, And, and I tell you, I just don't know if you should really push your horse uh, to run that early because, historically, the horse that uh, was two-year-old champion of the year and Breeders' Cup winner usually doesn't do very well. With exception last year, Forte was exceptional. But, you know, they're starting to get, you know, planning their races out, you know, where to run and and when to run. But like I said, the hopeful stakes at Saratoga, uh, you know, it's a $300,000 race. And you're sitting, you're looking at there um, that's one hundred sixty five thousand dollars you know to the winner. Um, I, I just don't know how, what I what to think about these races you know, but they have that. Uh, there's other races on, on the undercards you know, and I I'll give you a good example. Uh, the Del Mar Futurity, it's going to be run this Sunday. It's for seven furlongs for two year olds. Uh, you know, you're looking at um, $300,000, uh, a seven-horse field. And again, no derby points, but it gives you a, a kind of um, knowledge of where your horse is at, you know, physically. Is he is he ready to run? Uh, you know, where do we run with him next? Look, all honesty, the two, two races I just mess, mentioned to you, the hopeful states, uh, there's some... Uh, good races coming down the road. Uh, we're looking at the Breeders Cup, uh, you know, juvenile and first of November. Uh, we're looking at the Breeders Cup Futurity at Kena coming up, uh, you know, in, in a of meet and then the Breeders Cup. Uh, so there's a lot of good races, but again, we get back to the planning of getting to the Derby. Do you want to go now? To these futurities and all these races, maybe win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and then start your campaign for the Derby. But again, like we were talking about, with horses growing and, and you know uh, the things that you have to do with them to to get them school, the, you know, the the trauma they go through, uh, like shipping on on, on uh, vans from one track to the other. Changing uh, locations, uh, flying on airplanes, uh, f- you know, running against them um, top-notch horses. Uh, there's so many things that you got to think about when you're getting these horses ready to run run in the Kentucky Derby or any race, actually. You know, but the whole point that I've been trying to make is the fact that that the uh, the tracks ha- have started offering the money. They've, they've created a a schedule of, of races that cover uh, anywhere from, you know, from sprint racing, you know, to middle distance to, uh, you know, mile and a half uh, on the grass, on the turf, on the synthetic. You know, uh, that, that's, that's going to be interesting because I, I see the synthetic racing uh, tracks um if it proves out to be good on the horses and kind to of the horses, you're going to see these million-dollar races on the synthetic tracks and like you do on the grass and the dirt. So that really gives the trainer, you know, in a corner. You know, you know where do we run? Um, what do we run on? Uh You know, how much money is there? Uh You know, that type of thing. And then, of course, again, you got, like, the Breeders' Cup, one in your in? Uh, you got to prove yourself uh, a quality horse to get into the Breeders' Cup. And since they don't have a point system for the Breeders' Cup like they do for the Derby, then what you got to do is you got to try to make them as much money as you possibly can with your horse and, and, you know, wow them with linens, you know, on, in different places. And then you get in the Breeders' Cup and all. So that, that's what they're trying to do with that. And so it makes it difficult, you know, for the owner and the trainer. Um, you got to have the right horse. You got to have the right crew, uh, you know, to get, get there. And and it, and it makes it tough. And and with HISA coming in and getting involved, uh, you know, they've already uh, changed rules and regulations on shoes, uh, the medications you have to go through. Um, you know, uh, Bob Baffert's horse that, uh, that tested positive for, um, uh, you know, drugs, uh, his his vet just got fined for for not practicing, you know, proper, uh, you know, distribution of the medication. So, in other words, you know, it came out when, when Medina Spirit, you know, tested positive. Well, it was the groom. The groom rubbed some whitement on his tail and that did it. Well, you know, it was the groom. Uh, he urinated in the stall and and you know, that transferred over. Um, you know, it was bad hay. I mean it went through the whole gamut, you know, of everything. But in the end result, what happened and what I said a long time ago, when Bob got tested positive when it, he should just said, Yep, sorry about my luck, you know, that'll happen and it's not gonna happen again. But he went through all that time as three derbies. And now the ruling, the final ruling came in that 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 uh, verdict was upheld. You know, as far as uh, you know, uh, misuse of, of uh, medications to the horse by the vet. So you know that, that answered that problem. But ISAs come in and they made good regulations about you know the standard everywhere. Whatever state you go to, uh, you know if it's uh, one cc of um, you know, a medication in Florida. It's the ones they see in New York, California, South Dakota, wherever you got a horse that comes under the guidelines and uh, and rules and regulations of uh, of racing. And so, you know, that that's that's good. That's a good thing. But you know, like I've been saying all show long today, it's all about organization. I said that from the get go here and here at I E N. You got to be super organized. You gotta know what's going on, where the horse is at, what he did training wise, you know, everything. You gotta know about that. And one thing uh, that I like is I'm involved with with, uh, myracehorse.com and uh, my two horses are at Todd Fletcher's. And uh, this is what I like about it. I own a little bit of the horse, but I'm still an owner and they show me the respect of being an owner. No matter how small or how big you are, is every time the horse works. I get an email. The horse worked at uh, Saratoga yesterday at 49 and, and some chains. And uh, it said he came out of the work good. And he's getting ready to be shipped down from Saratoga to Churchill Downs. And he'll, he'll run at Churchill Downs this fall. So, you know, that, that's the good thing. But it's all the planning. Another little thing you got to put on your planners, let your your calendar, you know, notify owners, you know, how the horse works, what he's doing, where he's going, this and that. They tell me when he got shoes. They tell me all the things that go on with him. And that makes it nice. But it's all about planning. And now it seems like that with organizations like Haiza and, and, you know, the jockey club and the racetracks, that they've kind of got, you know, the, the, the format. They got the, uh, the foundation laid to make it great racing for owners and trainers, you know, and it's going to be a lot more pressure on the owner and trainers because you've got a lot of big decisions to make. So from the time you buy a horse at the, at the sales or breed a horse, you've you, you got to make plans every day for that horse, where he's going, what he's doing, who's with him, who's not with him. Uh, you know, you've got to do all that, and, and I think it's a great for the horse for the horse industry it's because it makes it a better more consistent product that when you go when you go to the races you see a good quality uh you know race program good money uh, good entertainment uh, you see all that you have good trainers you know good horses and it really works it really does work and, and you know they're carrying this over into the show horse industry too into the standard red industry and that's what I like about all the programs that are getting up. Uh, you know, they're getting ready to do all these things. I mean, just for example, take a look at the World Equestrian Center in Ocala. Uh, you know, you, you look at uh, Tryon in North Carolina. You look at Wellington, Florida here. Uh, you know, they've got new owners, and they're really putting money into it, and making it better than it ever was before. And it was one of the best places in the country, you know, uh, in, in the summertime. Uh, you know, you look at Devon. Uh, another great show horse facility. Uh, you look at Parker, Colorado. Uh, you look out at Thermal, California. Fantastic shows. Fantastic shows. You see quality riding. You see, you know, good push money. Um, you know, you see everything that's there. And that's what I like about the horse business is we've got a lot of people doing a lot of good things. Um, Bruce Springsteen's daughter, Jessica. Uh, she is do- just doing a heck of a job showing now. And, you know, she's getting ready to make her international presence now. Um, you know, it's just those are the things that we like to see. We've got some uh, show horses uh called the Global Champions Tour, and they go to like 12 different countries, and they pretty much have the same riders and the same horses, and it's like a big tournament. You know, it's just it's just phenomenal. And it's a big show to go to, you know, something to look forward to, and that's what gets people involved into the horse business. Not only as a as a as a patron to come in and you know spectator to to watch, but it gives them something that they can consistently do. They can follow, you know, throughout the year, uh, whether it's from you know whether they go from track to track, you know, watching the horses, whatever they're doing, you know, and you can plan that. You know, it's good family outings. It's good things to do. And, and so now it's to the point to where everybody's kind of getting getting the, uh you know, hang of it. And the, the only thing I could say, there's only one business I know. There's only one business I know that you can go to and find out about everything. That is here at International Equine Network. And you know where I got that idea from? I got that ID from, uh, from BBS radio and TV. You go to BBS radio, TV, and you can see anything on there. You can hear politics, religion, music. You can hear jokes. You can hear everything. But see, that's why our society has come now. We realize that we need to, you know, be able to satisfy people's interests. And the way to do that is offer them a little bit of everything. You know, and that's what we're trying to do here. And same with the racetracks. They offer good turf racing. They offer good dirt racing. They offer like a Kentucky Derby or a Belmont Stakes, which is good and all. And, and it's good. And then right here before I go, my next project that I just started, we have it. It's called the Triple Crown Traditions. And you'll see it on the website. What we're going to do is we're going to have an owner, a trainer, and a jockey during derby week. They're going to have a cook-off. They're going to bring their favorite recipes to the track. They're going to cook that, and they're going to cook off, and then they will be judged by a big crowd of people. And whoever wins the triple crown at Churchill of of our our cook-off, he will go to the Breeders' Cup that following November. We'll do the same thing at Pemlico. We'll have a Triple Crown cook-off at Pemlico. And we'll have the same thing at uh, at uh, New York at Belmont. Uh, Churchill's going to probably be bar- barbecued. It'll be seafood at Pemlico from Baltimore. And then it'll be steak, you know, and fine dining from New York. And then at, San- at Del Mar in 2024, we'll have the three winners. Uh, Come to the Delmar and we'll have the cook off and see who it is. And what's really nice about it is we've invited an owner, a trainer and a jockey at Churchill, a owner, jockey and trainer at Pemlico and an owner, jockey and trainer to Belmont. And then on the first, on the first uh, Saturday in November, uh, when we have our cook off at the Breeders Cup to see who the Breeders Cup uh, tradition champion will be. It could be it could be three owners that make it there. It could be an owner, two jockeys, you know, that make it there. It could be an owner, a jockey, and a trainer. But that's a new new project that we're uh, working with. So we did a lot of things today and appreciate you guys listening. And uh, you know, if you ever get bored, go to BBS Radio and TV and find out what you don't know. This is Scott Miller from Delray Beach, Florida, International Equine Report. Thank you.